I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. Our prayer tonight will be given by Mariska. Amen. Thank you, Mariska. Uh, tonight, especially for our typical viewing audience, uh, we are wading into some new waters. Uh, I learned yesterday about our guest being available. We had a phone conversation. His name is Bob Griffin. Uh, we have a, we have a, a website, bobgriffinworld.com. You're going to see that on your screen, and you can check him out there. Uh, we met this afternoon. We talked for a couple of hours about him and his faith. We talked about his views, how he believes he should live his faith. And uh, from what I can tell, uh, and I sincerely believe this, Bob is a man who seeks after God. He loves the Lord. Uh, you can tell by Mariska's prayer that they uh, are hot after God for his spirit to fill, to work, to be seen. And, but admittedly, just admittedly, and you guys know me, I am uh, uh, reserved in terms of practice when it comes to my faith. I'm an admitted cynic, and, uh, and I question many things. It might be because of my religious upbringing in Mormonism. I don't know, but I have very little in common, not in terms of Bob and myself believing and following Christ by faith, saved by grace, etc., etc., but I have very, very little in common with Bob in terms of how he lives and the Christian walk that he has. And we are going to really be able to talk about some of these differences tonight. And with all due respect, I want to talk about them. But Bob represents, I guess, on a continuum of being me being very cynical to super conservative in terms of spiritual gifts. We have Bob that is at the other end of the spectrum. Take a look. Shashana, the Lord says, watch what I begin to do. The enemy has overplayed his hand. The fallen one has come to claim that which is mine. And God says, even now, watch what I begin to do. For every aborted fetus, for every fetus that's been miscarried, God says, for every miscarriage of justice, know ye not that I have justice in my hands. And God says, all the miscarriages of justice, God says, the foundation of my throne is righteousness and justice. And I'm doing a brand new work in this hour. God says, watch what I begin to do. For all the limbs that have been harvested off of my, my fetuses, God says, watch what I do as I begin to grow forth those limbs. God says fingers and toes and God says arms and legs. God says eyes and ears and noses and every leprous thing shall begin to grow back and be perfect and be made whole, says the Spirit of God. The days before God called me to go to India, 
a nuclear standoff started with Pakistan and India. And when the nuclear standoff started, I was like, man, I've got something about this. I just don't know where it is. And I had to go back and look in my journals and look in my journals and look in my journals. And it was like, yes, I'm calling you to go to India and I will give you a new clear vision. And I had it written down N-E-W-C-L-E-A-R, a new clear vision. But my ears hadn't heard it yet. Yes, I'm sending you to India and I will give you a new clear vision. Now, I'm 48 hours away from going to India and a nuclear standoff starts off and now I suddenly see the word nuclear as nuclear. God says that my spirit, my spirit is yet to be seen in this generation. For God says that I've kept myself hidden until now. But God says my arm is not short and God says you've called me Jehovah Sneaky. God says watch what I do to America. Watch what I do before the end of this month. Before the end of this month. God says before the end of this month. God says, I shall shake the hands that shook the hand of Iran. I shall shake them apart. I shall break them apart. I went into Durban, South Africa, and I was ministering there one night to about 60 people, and I was right in the middle of prophesying. And so I'm, I'm prophesying to somebody. It was predominantly Indian church, and it was a Baptist church, and all the people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was prophesying to somebody, and an angel of the Lord walked up next to me in the congregation stood next to me and in an audible voice, I heard him say, I've come to remove the turban from Durban. Bob, is, uh, do, you see, do you see a uniqueness and a difference between yourself and Bob and, and his approach? Are there similarities to how you view and relate to God and, and your gifts? Is this due to culture? Is it due to the spirit? Is it due to the way Bob was made? as an individual by God versus how you are made. Uh, consider this as we talk tonight. Bob's from Maricopa, Arizona. And uh, today as we talk, I'm just going to say a little bit, and then I'm, we're going to just do a Q&A and let him speak. He, uh, he has been to every denomination, he says, except for the LDS Church here in Utah in terms of going and speaking. He says he has a house-to-house -house or a church-to-church, -church, or as he says, a temple-to-temple -temple ministry. And... Um, I asked him, well, what are you, Bob? And his first words out of his mouth was, I'm a son of God. And then he said, I travel as a prophet. He says, I, I am an apostle. I am a prophet. I am a pastor. I am a teacher. I'm an evangelist. He sings prophetically. And, uh, and he's a healer. We'll talk about healings later. He says he walks in all the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I don't... I don't have all the gifts. Of the, I don't walk in all of them, but Bob says we all should. We should. We should. And uh, definitely a believer in miracles. And, and we're actually calling the show tonight Signs and Wonders and Miracles. Uh, he's had seven strokes. He's died and come back twice. 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 A second time in 1986. First time in 1986. Second time in 2014. Uh, 2012. 2012. 2012, excuse me. You've been, you've been healthy longer than... <laughs> and uh, he runs a house church in, in Arizona called House of Liberty for All Nations and uh, non-denominational. And uh, he's married to Jane, who's also in ministry. In fact, right now she's in Las Vegas doing outreach to the pornographic industry. Pornographic industry. They're having their annual Academy Awards, I guess. Yeah. And she has it placed on her heart to reach out to the girls who are getting their awards and... Uh, and, and letting them know what Jesus thinks of them. So, Bob, any, in terms of background, history, do you want to... Uh, oh, one thing I got to tell you. The, the, I really like Bob, but he can, he can turn a single question into <laughs> hours of, of stories. So, if, if you hear me sort of stop him, it's not because I'm being rude. Uh, you can go to his website and watch his videos. But it's just because I want to get through a lot of information. Anything about your history, um, about uh, growing up Christian, or when you came to know the Lord, anything that you want to add to what I kind of introduced? Actually, when I was about five years of age, um, my mother said, um, if you want to go to church, there's one three blocks down the road. And, um, and I lived in Chicago, growing, growing up in Chicago, and I walked down to the Catholic Church, which is what my grandmother, my mother, and my aunt uh, were a part of. They didn't attend, not even once a year, but they claimed to be Catholic. And so that was all that I knew was Catholicism. And so 
I went there when I was very little, you know, and um, when I was about, I guess, 11 or 12 years of age, I got confirmed into the Catholic Church, mm. had my first dream, although I wouldn't remember it until I was 29. Mm. I went 17 years without remembering that dream. Mm. And during that time, God had called me in that dream, but it wasn't until I was 29 that I remembered it. And mm. when I remembered it, then I had an understanding of it. And so um, I was a drug addict, a dealer. I was married and divorced, married and divorced. I was um, in and out of jail and prison. I had 42 drug and alcohol charges. I had three DUIs in one week. Um, I mean, I was an alcoholic, hardcore. Um, I lived with different, many different women, about 55 different women in my life. Uh, my real father, I didn't know, uh, was, he, he started the Hells Angels in Chicago in the 1950s, and I wouldn't find that out until after my mother died in the Oklahoma City bombing, and my brother committed suicide over it. Then my aunt finally did come clean and tell me who my real father was. I was adopted at eight years of age by my now stepfather, who is still living, and um, I have no other living relatives. Um, my wife also, her parents were both killed in a head-on car crash when she was 21 years old. And so we have no grandparents, I have no in-laws, she has no in-laws, and we have no brothers, sisters, cousins, we just have our own children. We're the first born in our families of being born again, to our knowledge. My grandfather uh, was Jewish, he came from uh, Minsk, Russia, and my great-grandmother came from Pinsk, Russia. And so my grandfather came here when he was about seven years of age to America. I wouldn't know him or find out about him until I was 31. Mm -hmm. I was 31 years old when I found out I was Jewish, and when that happened, it was by revelation knowledge. I was praying one day, and God spoke to me, and he's teaching me about Israel, the church, in the last days. And I said, God, why are you teaching me all this stuff? And he said, because you're Jewish. I mean, just like I'm talking to you, I heard his voice. And so I said, oh, I'm not Jewish. I said, you know, my, my father's German, you know, my mother, you know, Dutch. And, and I said, I'm not Jewish. And he said, of course you are. He said, call him and ask your mother. And I said, what am I going to say to her? He said, ask her. He said, your grandfather changed the name twice. And so I... After six weeks of debating with God and finally not getting anywhere because he kept telling me more and more and more. And I was having angelic visitations in my house and in my bedroom at night. And, and I was being taken places at night. And so I saw a lot of stuff that was in the scriptures. And so I finally called my mom on one Friday night. And I said, Mom, tell me about my heritage. And she said, well, of course, you're Jewish. I was 31 now. And I said, Mom, when did you think you might tell me? And she said, well, you never asked. And I said, well, I never had a reason to ask. And she said, then why are you asking now? And I said, well, because uh, someone told me I was Jewish. And she said, really now? She said, who would that be? And I said, well, it was Jesus. And she said, really? She was mocking me. She said, really? She said, who else, uh, who else knows this? And I said, nobody. And she said, what else did he say? And I said, well, he told me that my grandfather changed his name twice. And she just about dropped the phone. And she said, who have you been talking to? And I said, Jesus. And she said, after a few minutes, she said, well, you must have talked to him because nobody else knows. Hmm. She said, there's nobody living that even knows. And so from then on, my life was changed. Hmm. And so I just move uh, in what God tells me to do. I go where he tells me to go. And from then on, I, I got, of course, I was born again by then and, um, and filled with the Spirit. And I just began moving in, in the gifts of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I had a, a, an extreme deliverance when I was um, about 29 years of age. Hmm. I um, was praying one night. I was on the side of my bed. I was on my knees. And, and I was asking God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I read in the scriptures where, you know, he baptized us in the Holy Spirit. I said, God, I want this, you know. And so um, after a few minutes, I started speaking in tongues. And when I did, I went to bed that night, and I had a dream. And in the dream, Jesus walked through the wall. He looked at me, smiled. He took a scalpel, and he cut me from, from my neck all the way down. And snakes started pouring out of me. Snakes poured down. I could feel them on my, my sheets. I could feel them as they plopped down on the floor. And I watched him commanding them to go across the floor and through the, th the baseboards. And they went through the baseboards and just disappeared. That went on for what seemed like hours. And um, then my, my belly was empty, except these white oblong things that were in there. And Jesus said, don't open them. And I opened them anyway. I opened it. It was hundreds more snakes, little babies. And so he commanded them to go. I took those eggs and put them on the floor. And right before I woke up, I heard, uh, when that which is broken, the viper breaks out. And it was a scripture out of Isaiah. I'd never read the Bible before. I never knew what anything said, you know. And, and so my deliverance happened. And that next morning, I started prophesying to people. I started having words of wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy. And I would pray for people. And I would read about healings. And I thought, well, there's nothing that says it's stopped. I'm just going to continue to do this. And from then on, I've just been growing. So I'm 57 now. It's been quite a while. 
So uh, for many of you, this is, you've heard m much of this from other people. You, you orbit in the circles of Christianity where what Bob does and what Bob is presenting is normative. But for some of you, you're like, what? <laughs> uh, he's laughing. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's a what. Yeah. But uh, uh, people, they, they really gravitate toward this. It's part of their life and their relationship. But when Bob's talking, one, it's very interesting, and two, you sense the sincerity, and you sense that, that he loves God, and I want that to, I'm going to keep bringing that out because this is important to what we've been talking about. You know, we are going to differ on a lot of stuff. We're going to radically differ. Uh, but do we accept each other? Do I accept, and will you accept Bob and what he does? I mean, you hear some wild things now. I, I'm sure if we had the time, we'd hear all, many, many more. But here's the thing. He goes all over the world, and he does this. You've been to how many countries? Been to 27 nations. 27 nations. Where are you going this month? I'm leaving for Israel on Sunday. I'll be in Paris. I'll be in Israel. Then I'll come back in America, and I'll start doing this again until I go to Australia. And I come back, and then I go to Ghana. Then I go back to uh, Namibia. Uh, then I'll be in South Africa. All over the place. Yeah. And in every, all these places, you have audiences large and small who relate to what you talk about, they believe, and they also, uh, they also orbit around the same things. They are experiencing the miracles you talk about. Yeah, there are many places that are experiencing a greater dimension of miracles than we are here in America. And my, my draw is that I want to see this happen in America. I want to see people that are rising up into their God-given gifts. And we all have gifts. We all have a dream seed that God's placed inside of us. We have something that the Lord's placed inside of all us that's called a gift, you know? And if we will begin to tap into it and open it up. I was musing this afternoon after I met with you. And I thought, God, how could I explain it to the audience about gifts? I said, we all have them. And the Lord just gave me a, a kind of an understanding. You know, all of you have had times where people celebrated your, your birthdays, Christmas, you know, anniversaries, you receive a gift. And when you receive it, you hold on to it, but you don't always embrace it. Some people put their gifts in a closet. Some people will, will never. That's the Lord. This is the first. <laughs> no one's ever knocked to come in this building at that door. He said, behold, I stand at the door and Be knock. careful, uh, Earl. <laughs> they could be armed. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's able to bring it all in. <laughs> Amen. But, you know, we get, we get gifts, and, and when we do, we, sometimes we get gifts that we like, and sometimes we get gifts that we'll never use. Amen? And it's that same way with, with Christianity. Some people receive gifts, and they never even tap into it. I, I, I can look at your body, and I realize that you're a body workout person. All right? Well, you should have seen right? me three months ago. Okay, but I can tell that you exercise, all right? Mm -hmm. And I can just see that, all right? So, obviously, you are exercising, you know, and you're, you're building up your muscles. Well, I just happen to have taken some of the gifts that God gave me and I exercise with them, and I exercise them every day. I see. And so I, by reasonable use, I actually am real sensitive to, to right. I'm sensitive to people's needs. I've had a gift of mercy and compassion in my life, all of my life, as far back as I can remember. Hmm. You know, one little story, I, I had a, a guy in the eighth grade. Now, by the time you're in eighth grade, you're no longer having birthday parties pinned the tail on a donkey, all right? But I got an invitation from one of the guys who was back then a geek. We would call him a geek today, too. Pocket protector, anti-shake case, eighth grade, mm -hmm. Chicago. He just didn't fit in with the rest of the crowd. But I was always sensitive to everyone around me. And so I, um, I was invited to go to his birthday party. And even though I didn't really want to go, because of just eighth grade, you just don't go to birthday parties anymore, I went. And I got him a gift, and I got there. And when I got to his house, went down to the basement, he was the only person there. Nobody else had shown up. And so I was the only person there, you know, and, and I just, I thought, you know, why am I the only person there? And I realized it's because I have a gift of mercy and compassion. And so I didn't want him to have a birthday party with nobody there. He wasn't even really my good friend. He was just sat in front of me in school, you know. And so I went back to Chicago after 20 years, and I was hooking up with some of the people that I went to school with. And they said, man, you're not going to believe what happened to Kenny Jason. And I said, what's that? They said, he is the number one DJ on WLS radio in Chicago. That's like a radio station that goes around the world. You know, he became something, you know. He was this nerdy guy, but he knew every kind of music and every kind of song, and, and he made something of himself, and he, he made a name, too. And, and so now I'm thinking, I was the only guy that showed up at his birthday when he's in eighth grade, you know. You got to remind him of that. You get some I free airtime. Hey, man, I should. I'm just kidding I you. I should, yeah. Okay. Well, it works. 
<laughs> so you're going all over and uh, you get invited and, and uh, your reputation is solid. When you say prophecy and when you prophesy, Bob, tell the audience what that means. I, I tried to clarify, I tried to, does that just mean you're teaching people or Bob, what do you mean by prophecy? Well, there's, there's a gift of prophecy. The Bible says that we can all prophesy. Even all the way back in the Old Testament, you know, Moses said, I wish that you all prophesied, you know? We all have a ability to prophesy, but not everybody does. Now there's a gift of prophecy, then there's a gift of a prophet, which is a five-fold ministry gift, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, you know? And so um, we all have the ability to prophesy, but when you're prophesying, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to begin to speak things that is the mind or the heart of God for encouragement, for edification, uh, just to bring, you know, freedom, you know? It can happen during a service, it can happen individually, and, um, and I just happen to be somebody that's, there's actually three different types of prophets. There's a Nabi prophet, which is somebody that bubbles up, and I happen to be that kind as well. I'm a seer as well, just like John the Baptist was a seer. He was the first prophet in, in the New Testament. And by the way, he was a Baptist. He was the first Baptist, you know. Ooh, look and out. So, so, you know, we just have to realize that he also received the apostle of our faith, which was Jesus, into the river. So he was the first one to receive the apostolic. So where are we now in terms of where we started, you know. And so, you know, there's, there's gifts of prophecy and there's gift of a prophet. And I just happen to be a gift of a prophet. I didn't know it until I just began realizing that I'm prophesying more and with revelation knowledge, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and in their gifts of healings and working miracles. And, and you know, before people were use, using terminology like, um, you know, marketplace ministry, I was doing it, you know. I was evangelizing, and somebody asked me one day, they said, if, if you, do you believe that Jesus still spits in the mud and heals people today, opens up their eyes? And I thought about it for a second. I thought, well, you know, he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I, I suppose he still does it. And my friend turned to me and said, do you think you'll ever see it happen in, in your life? And I said, well, if he asked me to do it, I'll do it. Well, about probably five or six years went by, and I was in a revival meeting out in rural Kansas, and uh, a couple came up to me with their little five-year-old boy who had really thick glasses. He wasn't blind, but he had a difficult time seeing, you know. And uh, they said, Nathan wants to see. And so I just kind of cringed. I thought, man, I've been in these meetings eight days now. I'm exhausted. Maybe you should have come to me with a headache. I got faith for a headache. That was what I really thought, you know. And so all of a sudden I said, well, I'll pray for him. And all of a sudden I hear a voice inside of me that says, if I asked you to go outside and spit in the mud and put it in his eyes, would you do it? And, I, and now this is between me and the Lord. And I said, God, if I knew that I knew that I knew that it was you, I would do it. And he asked me a second time. He said, if I asked you to go outside and spit in the mud and put it in his eyes, would you do it? And I said, Lord, if I knew that I knew that I knew it was you, he said, who do you think you're talking to? And I suddenly realized either I'm schizophrenic and so am I, or I was talking <laughs> to the Lord, you know? And so he said, go outside and spit in the mud and put it in his eyes. And so I turned to the parents and I said, would you mind if we went outside for a minute? And they said, no. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, why couldn't you have had this conversation with them? So at least they'd know. And I said, what am I going to say when I get outside? I mean, your mind is just rolling, you know? What am I going to say when I get outside? And I said, Lord, why am I going outside right now? He said, to leave the unbelief behind. See, the unbelief is an enemy of the cross. Amen. It really, truly isn't. God actually called it a perverse generation that doesn't believe. When Peter got out of the boat and he looked at the storm and put his eyes on the, the tempestuous winds and the tumultuous waves, he sank. Just for that one millisecond, you know, it was the twinkling of an eye. General Electric did a study one time on what the twinkling of an eye is. It's one forty thousandth of a second for me to do something quickly, and I know why. So I change my mind so that I move forward with what he's telling me to do. And so I just happen to have raw, radical faith. I just know what he did in my life. I, I've prophesied so many things that have come to pass. And so did you take? The, did you do the mud? I did. We went outside. It was a it was a, a church out in rural Kansas, and went outside. It was a full moon. The crowds split open. I could see really bright outside. Went down by a rose bush next to the parsonage, you know, and went to get the, uh, the mud in my hand, the clay in my hand. And when I did, I'll tell you this much right now, um, when your spit ministry starts, you're probably going to have a difficult time finding spit. I couldn't find any spit in my mouth at all. It's like, <laughs> it was like a cat trying to cough up a hairball, you know. And I finally got a little bit of spittle, just a little bit on my hand, and I started making a pace with it. And I put it on his eyes. And the one thing that we don't realize is what it looks like when you're going to put that on somebody's face. 
here's this little Nathan, five years old, and he looked like a raccoon out there with a full moon. I had the mud around his eyes, and he just looked like a raccoon, and he, and he started crying. He said, Mama, Mama, his eyes were burning, you know? And so we went in the back door of the, of the parsonage and stuck his head underneath the faucet and washed the mud off of his eyes. And we went in the living room, his mom was holding him, and I started pointing at a plaque that said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And when I started pointing at the letters, he started giving all the letters right. And she's ecstatic until all of a sudden I pointed at a letter and he got it wrong. I was pointing at a B and he said it was a D. And so I'm thinking, ah, he didn't see it, you know. But his mom said, no, he's always been dyslexic. And so I was thinking if I'd have known that, we could have prayed for that too, you know. And so anyway, she said just the other day when we went to the doctor, he couldn't even see the, he couldn't even see the wall. And so she took his glasses off. Now she's holding his glasses, and Nathan takes off running, and Mom starts running after him with the glasses going, Nathan, Nathan, because she was afraid he was going to trip on something. And I thought, there's that unbelief again. We see the healing, and then we're so used to our, our own ways, you know. And I, and I, I just recently had eye surgery, so it's not like, I don't understand that, you know, there's times when God heals and there's times when he doesn't, you know. I'm going to cut you off. Uh, so what are some of the specific prophecies that you've had? You shared some with me, and if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience. Okay. You prophesied of? 9-11. And uh, is that on a tape or something? It's, it's not only on tape, CDs, books. It's all over the world. It's, it's verifiable. And I, 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 I'm not questioning your integrity, but... How, did, did you actually say uh, uh, the Twin Towers are going to come down, or was it no, more... No, it was an enigma. It was an enigma. And so I was in a meeting in Kansas City, and there was a lot of doubt and unbelief. I'm real sensitive to that, you know, and because I, I love people, and I want to see them break that bondage of doubt and unbelief. God said without faith it's impossible to please Him. So, you know, I, I just happen to be a guy that moves in faith, you know, and, and when I feel the gift of faith, there's nothing that can, can deter me, you know. And so I, I was in a meeting in Kansas City, and uh, there was a lot of doubt and unbelief in the room. And um, all of a sudden, uh, through a, a spontaneous utterance, I just said, um, America, 911, 911. America shall be united in there, 911. And it was just an enigma. It was just a statement. And all of a sudden, I felt the doubt and unbelief. And I said, the Lord says, record this day and see if I'm not sending a, a true prophet to you. Well, one guy actually opened up the back of his Bible and started writing in the back of the Bible. Bob Griffin said, on this date, America shall be united in the air in 911. And so. America shall be what? United in the air. United in the air. In the air. And so it was American Airlines, United Airlines. America was united by what happened in the air. I see. And so it was an enigma. Afterwards, you can clearly see what's going on. And how long before that prophecy? That was five and a half years. Five and a half years before. Now, other people, coming back to this, uh, of how it was prophesied about the Twin Towers, other people that were part of our ministry, intercessors, also began picking up things too. One of them, four months before, she was looking up and pointing in the dream, 911, 911, nobody was paying attention to her. And she was looking around, nobody was really paying attention. Another friend of mine, Sean, who started a, a, a church in Jacksonville, Florida, he had a specific dream on the weekend before, which I'll tell you about too, and that specific dream was that, um, that he was carried by an angel of the Lord up into a tall burning building. In there, he was given a first name and a last name of a person, and he was told by the angel, you can call her, but you can't touch her. And so this woman was yelling for help, and he was up at the top of the stairways. And all of a sudden, this woman's yelling for help, and he starts calling her name and calling her name. And she says, where are you? I can't see you. He said, just follow my voice. Come forward. Finally, she broke through the, through, the, through the smoke and so forth, and he could actually see her. And when he saw her, he said, you're not far away. Just reach out, and you can touch the railing. When she got really close, she said, I still can't see you. He put out his hand to touch her, and the angel struck his arm and put it down and said, you can talk to her, but you can't touch her. And so... He said, just put your hand out, your left hand, and no matter what happens, just go down. Don't go up. No matter who you meet telling you to go up, just go down, and you shall be saved. Well, that actually happened, and that person actually testified on CNN that a voice of a man she never met before guided her to the stairway and told her to go down, and she was actually on CNN after that. Another person that had a dream that was part of our ministry, uh, Cindy Castleberry, she had a dream that, um, that she was standing on the ledge of a building, and a plane was coming right towards her. And then all of a sudden, she looked over to the side and saw a second plane crashing into a building, and that plane crashed into her, and she woke up choking on jet fuel, the, the smell of jet fuel. Mm -hmm. She called me up on that Monday morning, which was the m morning before 9-11. On 9-10, she called me up, and she said, I've had this horrible dream that I saw a plane crashing into a building, a second plane going into a second building. Well, of course, we all know what happened after that. So, I mean, we've had, we had four consecutive dreams that all were identifying the, the same thing. But I had an experience that weekend as well. God, on Saturday night before our Sunday morning service, I lived in Detroit, Michigan at the time, he said, uh, 
are my prophets believing me in this day? And I got up out of bed, and I went in the living room, and I prayed for about an hour and a half. I didn't get anything more from the Lord. I went back to bed, and the Lord said, is the church believing my prophets? And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to repent for the prophets that are not believing you, and I'm going to repent for the church that's not believing the prophets. I went to church the next morning and gave that message. Now, that Sunday night, which was uh, 9, 9 of 2001, um, I had this dream that an angel of the Lord actually filled my whole bedroom from the floor to the ceiling, and I saw the face of what looked like the face of God. And all of a sudden, he said, landscapes are changing. I woke up, and there was this bright light in my room. And I said, how so, Lord? And I was picked up, and I was carried over the United States. And I could see smoke coming out of chimneys. I could see uh, streetlights stabbing at the night. I could see the reflection on wet ground. I could hear dogs barking. I could smell the smoke in the air from fireplaces. And I was carried from Detroit all the way to the Oklahoma City uh, Alfred P. Murrow Building, which by then was um, already blown up in 1995. And so I was set down in front of that building, and all of a sudden he said again, landscapes are changing. And it just exploded, and I started weeping because my own mother was killed in that moment. And so I said, but Lord, this has already happened. And he said, he said, pay attention. And so all of a sudden I looked and he said, landscapes are changing. And behind the Alfred P. Murr building, I could see the Twin Towers and I could see the Statue of Liberty that was between there. And so I saw a tear coming down her left eye. And all of a sudden God spoke to me and said, uh, Liberty, all of her hopes and dreams are contained within her. And I was carried to the, to now the 9-11 Twin Towers. When that happened, I um, saw them both blow up and collapse. And I was running from the dirt. And I was just running and running and running because all that dirt scene that you saw, that big rolling gritty ball of dirt. And I ran up this fire escape and I went through this window. And when I did, there was a, a TV producer in there. And there was two people, a man and a woman standing there. And all of a sudden, um, uh, they turned around. They said, he's going to do for you exactly what he did for us. But I didn't know who the people were. I had no idea who they were. It was just a man and a woman. I didn't recognize them. And so all of a sudden, this producer said, I'll be with you in one minute, just one minute. He said, worldwide radio, worldwide television, worldwide web in one minute. So I realized that we're, we're on a countdown right now. And so the next thing I know, I saw that everything go dark because the dirt went by. And when the dirt went by, everything was dark in the room. And I woke up from there, went to church the next day to our Monday staff meeting, and I started telling the dream. My own pastor said, oh, another dream like rolled his eyes, like another dream. People don't realize that God has promised through the book of Joel that he would pour out his spirit in the last days, that we would all dream and all have visions. And so, and so before, before you go on, and Peter said that was when? In Acts 2, he said that was... Then, right? He said it's right then. Yeah, yeah. right then, Acts yeah. 2. Yeah. He said this is that which was prophesied by the prophet yeah. Joel. But you believe it, it was started then and it's continuing it's on It's continuing now. Then. He said upon all flesh. That doesn't even qualify us as Christians. Upon all flesh, the whole world's going to dream dreams and visions. Okay. So even more as the Lord's approaching, you know? Yeah. And so in the midst of that, um, I went to, to the staff meeting and people were kind of somewhat mocking me, even my own peers, you know, who were also prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers. And, and I got kind of sad and I went outside and I started feeding the fish outside. We were at a restaurant having the staff meeting and gone to church, went to the staff meeting that morning. And, uh, and I said, you know, tomorrow's 911. And I said, I've been speaking this for five and a half years. I said, but tomorrow's 911. And they said, well, what does that mean? And I said, the World Trade Centers are not going to be there anymore. And somebody said, just pass the rolls. And, and that was exactly what God was telling me over the weekend. Are my prophets believing me in this day? And is my church believing the prophets? Let me ask you, uh, Bob, we're in a state, Utah, you know, and what people would say, many fundamentalist Christians would say, is that, that the, the Old Testament tells us that that's the way you, you tell a prophet isn't a prophet. Right. What do you say to that? Well, I would say that that's wrong. That's mm. fundamentally wrong because then I would also say, well, who's without sin, mm. all right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so there are times when we do make mistakes. So you're, you're sizing that up to a, a sinful nature that has caused your prophecies to be off? Well, not necessarily. It could be me, it could be them. Oh, I see. All right, I had, I had somebody call me a false prophet one day, and it really grieved me, you know? Mm. I was like, God, what would you say? And he said, false Christian. He said, Christian is one who's Christ-like. I noticed a very verbal uh, audience that you brought with you. Is that, well, is that part of what comes with uh, the culture that you're part of? When people know that they know that they know it's taking place. I mean, I warned my own mother three weeks before the bombing that, you know, crazy people are blowing up buildings. And I said, you never know when you're going to go. And I said, don't miss heaven by 18 inches. And she said, how could that happen? I said, the distance between your head and your heart. We got a lot of people that have Bible knowledge from their head and can quote even better than I can. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that I know him in my heart. And I only say what I see and I only say what I hear God say. 
Okay. So there's times when I've made a mistake, or adding something to it or trying to add my understanding to it will change things. And I don't prophesy about marriages. Usually don't want to get involved with hearts of the matter. You know, we well, you're, all, you're smart. You know, <laughs> well, you know, we just don't, we just don't know. We uh, just don't know everything. In, in Utah, with an LDS church, their claim, and I, I've heard you say this as we've sat here, uh, you know, we walk by faith. Uh, you know, it's just by faith. We're in faith, and we're going to trust that this will happen. We're gonna, uh, and, and, and the LDS embrace Mormonism and all of its facets on that premise that there's no evidence for a Book of Mormon, there's no evidence for this, there's no evidence for that, but it's, you're just, we're going to walk by faith. We're going to know that we know that we know, and we're going to go that way. And it sounds like you sort of give the same... You know, the one thing that I can say, and, I, and I'm just saying this right now from yeah. my heart. Um, I've met a lot of Mormons. I know a lot of ex-Mormons. I know a lot of people that have lived their whole life here, generation after generation. And um, the one thing that I can say is that when it comes to prophets, the Mormons believe in prophets. They believe in being organized. They believe in, in the administrations of the government, you know, as it's been established. And I know some of the best people that I know are really, really good people are Mormons. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that, that they're not saved. There are some people that really, truly are. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that may never escape Mormonism, mm -hmm. but there are people that have, and when they have, they started operating in, in the gifts that God's given them. And I can, I can state case after case after case of people that I know that have come out after, you know, third and fourth generation, you know, and, and they're moving in healing and moving in prophecy and moving in teaching, incredible teaching. Mm -hmm. Because once you've, you know, somebody said to me one day, you know, how do you know when it's real and when it's not? You mm -hmm. kind of asked that question. Yeah. How do you know when it's real and it's not? You know, bankers and tellers, they handle money every day. They don't know the counterfeit because they study the counterfeit. They know the real because they handle the real. Mm -hmm. And so somebody asked me one day, well, where's your, where'd you go to school? Where'd you get your Bible training? I said, well, I've got a PhD. I'm past having doubts, all right? Mm -hmm. God's moving in me, and I've seen too much fruit come forth out of it. And now after 25 years of following him, I think I know his voice even more now than I did then, you know? So just to the audience to let you know, uh, in terms of his eschatology, uh, uh, Bob is like most believers. Jesus is going to come back, and soon. And soon. Uh, he's pro-Israel. He's going to Israel. He believes in the nation of Israel. He's a Trinitarian. He knows Jesus is God. He believes that any version of the Bible, he's not a King James onlyist. Uh, he's not name it and claim it. He does believe that in good things. He doesn't believe the Bible is word perfect in terms of what we hold in our hands right now. But he trusts the Bible, of course. He reads the Bible. Uh, so we have all these things in common with, with Bob. Uh, Bob, in terms of the healings, uh, can you tell the audience quickly the healings that you have observed, uh, some of the main ones? I've seen tumors disappear. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. Twice I've seen people walk that have not walked before. Once I saw a, a little mute boy, six years old, speak for the first time. His first words were Holy Spirit. Second word was Hallelujah. Third word was Glory to God. In that order. Uh, you're going to call me to repentance now. I uh -oh. hear, I hear uh, some of the people who uh, follow what you do uh, saying amen when you say I saw this. And amen I saw that. And they're, they're validating it, but probably not having ever seen the people. What's wrong with me? That I don't, I don't think that this is, I do believe God still heals. Right. I, I certainly do. Right. But I think in our day and age, we have modern medicine, and I think the true miracle is a changed heart. That's the true healing that happens now, and that the healings of the scripture were uh, emblematic of, the, of uh, the healings of the heart that would come. And so what's wrong with me? Sean, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, but I think you answered Good answer. your own question. Good I answer. think you answered your own question. You said, you know, we have doctors today. And, you know, a lot of people just trust in doctors. They just mm -hmm. trust in modern medicine, and, and they're, they're rightful to do so, you know. But I've seen too many things that make a balance, and we don't really seem to have a balance. We have people that are full on this way or full on that way. Oh, okay. All right, and there's not a balance. And I'll give you one example, and, and I hope that this is an example that's healthy, you know. Oral Roberts, a great man of God who was a faith healer, all right. Oral starts a hospital. He gets a call from a heart specialist one day. Uh, actually, he calls the heart specialist first. He says, I've got a heart problem. I'm a man of faith. I've been praying and praying and praying. This is not going away. He said, I'm calling you. I need some help. And the doctor, who was a friend of his, who worked at his, his hospital, said, oh, great man of faith and great man of prayer. You know, you've got a heart problem, and now you're coming to the doctor. 
-hmm. He's like, well, you know, God uses doctors too, all right? So he goes to the doctor, the doctor ends up working on him and he gets healed, all right? Through a period of time in medicine, he gets healed. About six months after that, the doctor calls up Oral Roberts and says, you know, um, I'm sorry to say I've consulted with all the best specialists around the world. He said, I've even looked at my own heart and he said, I've got a problem with my heart and it can't be healed. And he said, you know, I need you to pray for it. And Oral said, what, great doctor that you are and you can't heal yourself, you know? And he said, I'll be right over. And so he went over and prayed for him and his heart was healed. So what's the issue? It's a great, it's a great anecdotal story of being a cynic. I would, I would really question the validity of it. I'm sorry. All right. Well, that's uh, all right. We're yeah. all entitled to our own sure. opinion. And so. Uh, but, the, but the thing I'm asking is, do you see any difference between people who say, I'm going to the doctor, I'll pray, but God may not heal me. And uh, I accept that. If he does, praise God. If he does through a doctor, praise God. If he does through a miracle, praise him. But I'm not going to put all my eggs believing that it's only going to be go to God and he's going to do it. I should go to the doctor if I've had a stroke. Now, I'm, I'm a seer, okay? I'm a prophet. I see things. But through all of my dietary flaws and all the things that I've done and wearing out my body traveling around the world, I've traveled 320 days a year for the last 19 years in these 27 nations. I got cataracts in my eyes and I couldn't see. In just as recent as November, it was very difficult for me to see. Everything was green, it was gray, I couldn't see very well. It got to the point where my family didn't trust my driving, you know? Well, they didn't, they didn't have any right not to, you know, I thought. But anyway, I went to the doctor. He easily removed nine weeks ago the first cataract, seven weeks ago the second, and implanted a uh, kind of a, uh, an implant, a contact that goes inside my eyes to where I can now see. I can actually see you. But you know what I woke up seeing? Hmm. I saw for the first time with clarity in years, I don't even know how long I couldn't see. I saw the wrinkles on my face. I saw hairs growing out of places that I didn't know they were growing. I saw spots and wrinkles and blemishes on me and others, you know? And um, I began to see with clarity again. And so, you know, I'm the guy that spit on my fingers and put it in people's eyes and watched the eyes open up. I watched a 15-year-old girl in Namibia, in Vinhook, Namibia. Uh, we did a, uh, a meeting there. It was an anointing service. And I went to pray for her. We had CNN and TBN there. We had two different, we had the religious and we had the secular. They both wanted to come and watch miracles. And so I cannot do a miracle. I've never performed a miracle. I, I can't heal and I can't, I just can't. I have gifts that God flows through. And so I prayed for this 15-year-old girl. She was left in, uh, blind in her left eye from birth. Her mother was standing next to me, said she absolutely cannot see. It was um, from the womb, you know? And so she's standing there. She comes forward for me to pray for. And I spit on my thumb. I put it in her eye. And she starts laughing, which was like the most weird response I ever had for anybody in healing, you know? And she's laughing, like hysterically. And I finally looked at her and I said, what's going on? She said, I've never seen out of this side of my face before. Now, you know, when you hear somebody make a statement like that, I've never seen out of this side of my face. She was being just as sincere as can be. And her mother came over crying and said, can you really see? Can you really see? She really could see. Now, I can tell you, we stumble into stuff sometimes. Like, I stumbled into something um, many years ago in Clay Center, Kansas. An elderly woman. Too many. Too many? Hear this one. All right, hear this one. Hear this one. one. Please hear this Last one. Last one. All right. You asked me about something notable. This woman sat down next to me, and she said, do you interpret dreams and visions? And I said, yes, I do. I said, but we're getting ready to start the meeting. She was an elderly woman, about 70. And she said, uh, I, I had a, a, a dream uh, and years ago, and she said it was about Jesus coming on a white horse. And I thought, oh, okay, I, I know what this is going to be, you know. And, and so she said, can you interpret? And I said, I will as soon as we're, we're finished with this meeting. As soon as we're done, she said, I'll, I said, I'll pray for your vision, all right? So I finished the meeting about two hours later, maybe three. I talk a lot, you know, <laughs> long-winded prophet, you know. And so anyway, um, I get to the end of the service, and, and I said, I'll pray for your vision. now." And I just closed my eyes, and I said, Lord, I pray right now, according to your word, that you'll open up the eyes of her understanding, that you'll give her your spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, and teach her and show her what it was that you're trying to show her so many years ago. And all of a sudden, the woman goes, oh my, and she starts looking around the room, and she said, what a beautiful home. And she said, I had no idea there were so many people here. And her daughter comes running across the room and says, mom, can you see? And she looks up and she said, oh, you are stunning. She said, I haven't seen you. And she gives the date, 1959. I haven't seen you since 1959. And so I'm, I'm, I'm crying because I'm moved by what's happening here, you know. And, and so it turns out that, um, that she not only could see, but I had no idea when I prayed for her vision that God was opening up her eyes. I thought I was praying for her vision of the horse. I didn't know she was blind. 
I had no idea. So it wasn't like I added my faith for her eyes to be open. It just accidentally, spontaneously happened, you know? Great story. One thing I really like about Bob is, one, he, he is, seems genuine. I know he loves the Lord, but also uh, his reasonable approach to things. Look, sometimes you're going to go to a doctor. Sometimes you're going to go to uh, uh, someone who can heal, and God will do it either way, but he's reasonable. Another thing was we had a conversation about, you know, we talked about people and their faith, and I said to Bob, do you believe that people of any faith could be gods? He said, absolutely. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he's not dogmatic and say you got to be this. He knows of Muslims or whoever you are is open to being gods. God loves us all. Yeah. And I mean, so I'm, I've learned a lot by running into somebody who, in terms of our personality types and our approach to the faith, are so different, but nevertheless, uh, learned a lot just about uh, some reasonable approaches mixed in with some very fantastic stuff. And he's very sure of himself, so I like that. Uh, wait, uh, a couple more things. It's uh, that PhD, you know. It's what? It's, it's that, that PhD? PhD? I'm past having doubts. Past having doubts. Uh, he even said something to the effect of, if you don't mind me bringing this up, Saddam Hussein mm -hmm. is going to be in heaven. Things like that, very radical. Uh, why aren't we seeing the healings in America today? I believe that we're preparing to. I believe that we're about to see a resurrection of the body of Christ, which is what we all are. And in order for that to happen, we've got many body parts that need to come together. That's all different denominations that are going to come together. And it's going to make a noise when the bones of Ezekiel, when he prophesied to the breath and prophesied to the bones, it made a noise. And there was a noise when it came together. And it's just these kind of discussions that some people that are so dogmatic are not going to get along with somebody else that's so dogmatic. And it's pride and pride and pride and pride form a bond. And Satan says, I'm going to be like God. And he forms a house. The only way to break that is to come in the opposite spirit. And when you come in the opposite spirit of, say, humility, then it actually embraces whoever else is not going to move in that same spirit. I have to know that I know that I know that God doesn't have second-class people. He doesn't have first-class, second-class, third-class. Like you get on the plane and you're riding coach. We're all going to go. If God loves us and we name his name, we're going to go. Mm -hmm. And so I watched Saddam Hussein in his last breath say, Lord, be merciful to me. Now, in the 99 names in Islam, Lord is not one of them. And so I just know that I know that he's going to be there. We may not like what God's going to do, but we're not God. We just represent him as fully as we can. Pretty radical. Pretty radical. Uh, Rick asks, how can you be a prophet in light of Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 2, God who in different times and in diverse manners spake unto us through uh, prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, and there is the context of that uh, passage. It, he used to speak to us through prophets, but in his last days has spoke to us by his son. How do you answer that? I would have to answer right now that where is Ephesians 4.11 in this? You have to look Foundation at of prophets and apostles. But Rick would probably say that's the foundation laid, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And upon that, we build a spiritual house of believers. But <clears throat> the foundation has been laid already. Bob, what do you say in terms of... Well, then I have to say right now that God was silent between Malachi <coughs> and Matthew yeah. for 400 years. And so when we get to, to the book of Acts, we see right now that there was a silence until Peter stood up and said, this is that. When okay. he said, this is that, he began to link together the prophet Joel with this is the outpouring of the Spirit. And as the outpouring of the Spirit, we also have the apostles of the Lamb, and then we have apostles, all right? How did, how did Saul, who became Paul... How did he come in to be an apostle who wrote most of the New Testament? Yeah. If indeed, how did he become, if we already had the foundation laid? If the foundation was already laid, we had the 12 apostles. We had those that were the apostles of the Lamb. Then we had other apostles that came in after that. So you, would, uh, you don't stop with Paul. You, you would add other apostles being Barnabas and Silas? Certainly. And, and all those Certainly. Okay. And, you know, and the reason that I would is because we see fruit out of them. We see the, the fruit. And, and you know, even, even in the Mormon church, which you know, you've obviously come out of, I mean, do they not yet still claim to have apostles and prophets within the, the they denomination? They certainly do. All right. Do you know that right now, we've had, until now, we've had uh, a threefold ministry. We've had pastors, evangelists, and teachers. If you will, pet. Those are people that are petting the sheep. P-E-T, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. But Jesus said from now on, when? From now, when you see this, from now on, he said a house will be divided three against two and two against three. And I always wondered what that meant. 
because we've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we got now, we got the, the PET, the old school of pastors, evangelists, and teachers, which is an old wineskin right now because we're just petting the sheep. But now we also see in Ephesians where he said, and Corinthians where he said, uh, apostles, prophets, and teachers, and then administrations. And so there's going to be an administration of the apostles, prophets, and teachers. And so we don't just have the apostles of the Lamb, which are the beginning uh, of just those that walked with him and saw that. Then we've got Paul that came in later. Just as one clarification for the audience, the LDS Church believes they have the only <laughs> apostles on the face of the earth. And uh, well, they would when we get to heaven, I think that they're going to find out different. You know? Yeah. I think all of us will. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good way to look at that. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? Any questions from the audience? Come on. Let me look through my notes here. What do I see for America in the near, near future? That's an awesome one. I actually had a dream about seven years ago before this present administration came in, and I saw in the dream, I saw a tornado that came down from heaven, and I looked at it, it was a finger of God, it was a whirlwind that came down, and began to write in cursive letters across America, America shall rise again, dot, dot, dot. Well, I was rejoicing when I woke up from the dream, and then all of a sudden reality hit me, and I thought, we're gonna have to fall before we can rise. And so I've realized that we're going to fall before we rise, which we've been constantly doing and progressively doing even faster and faster. I think that America's been spiraling out of control with breaking the Constitution, breaking the foundational laws of this nation, you know. But I know that God is bigger than all that, and God loves this nation. Uh, I think that America's going to have a, a revival, a third great wave of revival and awakening that's going to take place. In fact, I know that we're going to see the greatest miracles and signs and wonders that we've ever seen, and they're going to come through common, everyday people. People that didn't even believe in miracles are going to start flowing in them. They're going to prophesy. They're going to see things that they never saw before. But on the other hand, I also know that all nations are going to surround Israel. So America's eventually going to lose that, that grace. But hopefully by then, I pray that we're going to see a great economic and spiritual revival in America. You speak openly against uh, President Obama, uh, and, oh, Jed, you have a question. Before we go to President Obama, Jed, talk loud. I'll repeat the question. Okay. I just want to know, in just a few words, okay? <laughs> in just a few words, why does God speak to you? Why does God speak to you? Why does God speak to me? I guess because I'm open to him. I'm open to loving him. You know what? I really don't know. Because if I looked at myself, I've had people ask me before, you know, how could somebody that murdered, how could I'll, somebody... I'll help you then. All right. You do what you're told. All right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I do do what I'm told. And Jed I, asked uh, why through him does God speak, and there's a back and forth for those of you who couldn't hear, and Jed said, I'll tell you why God speaks to you, because Jed said you do what you're told. So... Uh, uh, listen, about Obama, tell us about, uh, because Romans, uh, uh, Paul says clearly that we should be subject to uh, those who are put in place over us, that God has put them. Why do you feel the uh, need or license to speak against our president? I don't know that I so much speak against him as, as I do what he represents, all right? And I think that in that realm, I may not be speaking politically, but I speak governmentally. And I think on behalf of the government of God that we do have a right to stand up and believe what we believe and follow the leaders. I'm not going to blindly follow my leader to jump off of a, of a cliff just because he's jumping off a cliff. Mm -hmm. All right? And so I can also yell and scream for people not to follow somebody that's jumping off a cliff. All right? And so I actually took it. I was really grieved in my spirit because I thought, God, I'm having a difficult time with being a prophet, speaking what you want governmentally, and saying what you're expecting me to say. And the word right here, because I know that you don't contradict the word. And so I have to look at this, and I don't want to lead people down a pathway of unrighteousness or, you know, rebellion. And so I went to the Lord, and I said, God, show me in, in the scriptures. And what he actually showed me was this, was that there was a time when they actually blindfolded Jesus, and a, a temple servant slapped him and said, prophesy, who slapped you? All right, now that was a mocking, tempting spirit, all right? And um, Jesus, of course, didn't answer him. When Satan wanted him to perform a miracle, he didn't do it because he wasn't going to be tempted to try and perform. All right. Then there came a time when, uh, when he was speaking to the high priest, and the temple servants slapped him and said, this is the high priest. And what did Jesus say? I'm sorry, I didn't know it was the high priest. That was the biggest slap in the face. I'm sorry, I didn't even know you. I didn't recognize your authority. 
I didn't recognize what you're doing right now. You know, um, we have to be very cautious because even the angels don't bring a charge against right, us. Right. We have to be very cautious in what we're doing. And if God's going to tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. I see. I'm going to so do it. So what you're saying is that in light of Scripture, even, mm -hmm. if God tells you, you're going you're to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay. And, um, you know, they can come and take away your 501c3. They can actually, you know, I get calls from the terrorist task force, the FBI, Homeland Security, the DEA, people that want to know what I know. And it, it was kind of freaky when it first started. I mean, here I was a drug dealer for many, many years. And now the head of the DEA, just until she retired recently, is, is my best friend, you know? And so, you know, I've been in places where I'm overlooking Washington, D.C., and I'm praying and looking over the Pentagon and praying. I've been invited to the White House. I've been invited to Saddam Hussein's palace five times, you know? And I've been in places where I've ministered to senators and congressmen, and I respect authority as I respect the authority in the church. But there is a time right now when, when we're in these last days when we have to really, truly be cautious in our heart that we follow Jesus. Do you, uh, we only have three minutes left, uh, Bob. But That's you, your fault. You yeah, I, I know. I know. <laughs> you invited me. <laughs> I know. Uh, do you believe that it uh, is, just really quickly, I okay. just have to know this, do you believe that Christians should in some way fight against social evil like abortion? Should we go to abortion clinics? Should we picket them? Should we... Uh, picket against uh, uh, homosexual parades, things like that. I don't think that we should, we should actively pursue that. I think that we all have an identity in Christ, and I think that we should present him in love, whatever we do. When I first got born again, my pastor was a pro-life pastor. They actually, the abortionists chained themselves to the door of the church, and I, that's when I got born again mm -hmm. during that period of time. And so there was a real activism going on right then. And I came into the church one day, and God gave me a word of knowledge. And in this word of knowledge, he said to me, um, he said that uh, the scholastic fund has been rated to $40,000 in this church. And so I went to the elders of the church, and I said, I got a word that $40,000 has been stolen from the scholastic fund. And they said, what do you know? Who did you hear this from? And I said, well, I heard it from God. And they said, I said, why? And they said, well, just go back and pray. So I went back, and I prayed. And I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? He said, the enemy broke in through 311 women in this church who have not re repented of their abortions. And so I grieved and groaned, and I got on the floor, and I cried for over a week. And I just kept praying and praying and praying and crying and interceding for these women. But then all of a sudden it hit me that the men never get accused for the abortions. They're just as guilty. I mean, sure. you know what I'm saying? They created the, the child that's being aborted. So I realized how many times that possibly I had been a part of abortions too, so I repented on behalf of me. When that happened, from then on, I had an anointing to speak life in the wombs because I overcame that and I repented of it. Now I had life to be able to speak. And there's over 70 verifiable women who have not been able to conceive who now have children because of that. And so, you know, we have to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, this is, this is wild stuff. This is wild stuff. But again, I respect Bob and uh, I'm going to take him at his word. I uh, am going to salute him as a brother. Uh, receive him in full fellowship into our church and into my heart as a brother. If I, and if you can do that with Bob, how can we do that with other people too who differ? Can we do it with Calvinists? That's a hard one for me, but I can do it. Can we do it with Arminius? Can we do it with people who say, once you're saved, you're not always saved? Can we do it with Mormons maybe? Can we do it with Catholics? I'm not preaching, uh, preaching ecumenism, but I am saying that there are a lot of different members of the body. I represent one extreme, the toenail. Bob represents the mouth and, and, and the hands or whatever. And together we are there. I, I, we can only respect a man who believes like he does, goes out and does, does like he does, and let God judge and let God be the, the thing. So as a follower of Christ, do you accept Bob and his approach? Or do you find him inferior to your ways? Do you think that Bob is not as good of a Christian as you are, that you're may, maybe smarter than Bob? Or do you feel uh, in, inferior to him? Do you, I mean, to some, Bob might be deemed a zealot. He might be seen as a fanatic, even a charlatan. But to others, his ways are wonderful. And it's, I'm just doing this. I wanted him to come on because I wanted to allow him to share. For, and he shares honestly. He doesn't hold back. He shares exactly how he sees it. And it's opened me to say, okay, you know, I've got to tone back some of my rhetoric against faith healing and, and some of the other stuff. I've learned from it. I hope you have too. Join us next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on the ride.
going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't become 